Well, good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here. So if you're here in this room or in one of our many overflow rooms, or maybe you're listening to this later online, we're so glad that you are with us and a part of this. I'm especially grateful uh, to have in this room, at least, my pastor growing up. Pastor Sherm Williams is here and his wife, Marty, more than my pastor, they really were my second set of parents. And the reason a lot of who I am today is because of them and that I'm still alive is because they <laughs> kept me and their son from doing more stupid things. And so I'm grateful to have you guys here all the way from California. It's good to see you. We are concluding a teaching series called Real Talk, where we're asking real questions, big questions about God and faith and how it all fits into life and what we're supposed to do about it all. And uh, today we're going to look at a real simple, easy topic. We're going to look at why are there so many religions in the world? Why are there so many different religions in the world? And, and specifically what I want us to do and what I commit to our time together is that we're going to look at the life of Jesus and the, the way of Jesus and how he had a way of putting religion in its place, in the right place. And then I want to offer you a next step that every single one of us can take this week to not only put religion in its right place, but to really grow in a relationship, a transforming relationship with Jesus. Now, I got a picture this weekend of just kind of the distinctives and differences between all sorts of different religious expressions. Uh, yesterday, I got to, I was privileged to be able to go and support our nephew, Luke, at his first communion. It was a big deal. Maybe you did that as a kid or you went to one uh, this yesterday as well, or recently you've been to a first communion. It is so cute. What a cute, I should have invested in little tiny suits uh, years ago because there were so many. It was so cute seeing all the pretty dresses and all that. That was a really sweet moment, you know, and, and our kids were there because it's their cousin. And so it was funny because our kids have grown up in Soul City Church, and so they don't have a lot of other exposure or experience with other churches other than this church. It's kind of the only church they know. They're growing up in this church. And so at different points throughout the, the service, our son would lean over to me and go like, why are we doing this? I'm like, well, just pay attention. It's like, you know, it's like, why are we standing again? I'm like, I ask your mother. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know exactly why, you know? And so he was kind of trying to ask me because he's paying attention. He's nine years old. He's paying attention to everything. It's awesome. And so after the service, it was really sweet. I mean, for us, I, I could tell, like, for some folks in that room, beautiful church, for some folks, it was really, really meaningful. And maybe you've been a part of that experience. It's a really meaningful thing, this little moment to mark. And there's a lot of other folks in the room. I could tell them this was just kind of a going through the motions thing. You know, maybe you've been in a church or, a, you know, some kind of place or worship where you've seen that too. For some people, it's really meaningful. For other folks, it just seems to be going through the motions. And I could kind of feel all of that around me. And, and so my son was kind of really curious about this. So it was raining and we said, we'll go get the car for the girls. And so we were walking all the way out because I got the last parking spot. And so we're walking out and then Elijah just starts with all his questions. Dad, I noticed in one of the pictures, it looked like one of the guys was wearing a yarmulke. Does that mean they're Jewish? I'm like, no, it's no, because some priests wear a thing like that. I'm like, again, ask your mother. Like, so we're, but he's like, Dad, why, like, why when we were praying at one point, he just started singing while we were praying? I'm like, I don't know. It's re these are really good questions. And so then he started getting kind of a little bit deeper. Like, well, Dad, why do they do things the way that they do? And so we got to the car, and he just kept asking question after question. So awesome, right? And so we get in the car, and he finally just boils it all down to this one question. He goes, Dad, why do they do the things they do differently than how we do it? Why do they do it differently than we do it. This is a significant moment. And so we're in the car driving to go pick the girls up. And so, you know, I look in the mirror into his blue eyes. And, I, you know, this is a powerful parenting moment for me. And I look in the mirror in his eyes and I said, son, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow's sermon. <laughs> and so he's really looking forward to this today. Hopefully you are as well. 
And I think his questions are, I think we all, we could go on and on and on about our questions. Why are there so many religions? What's the difference? What, and does it really all kind of matter in the end? So I just want to briefly walk through some of the uniqueness about why there's so many religions and what they have in common. Now, this is not like a college lecture. This is not World Religions 101. Okay, there's a lot of other places to get that. This is just to kind of help us kind of put religion in its right place. So let me just give you some quick context for religion real quick. By the numbers, Okay. All right, so this is really interesting. Do you know that right now in the world, 84%, according to the last Pew survey that they did around the world, 84% of people claim to have some sort of religious affiliation. So I don't know if that number seems high or low to you. I think that's interesting, 84%. Now, it doesn't say the depth to which of their religious experience or affiliation, but 84% of the world has at least some religious affiliation. So this is a major part of our human experience. Right now, at best count, at best count, there's around 4,200 distinct and different religions in the world today. That's a lot of variety. We got 84% of the world to cover, so you got to have some options. 4,200 world religions, as best they can count. Now, this is interesting. Christianity is one of the top five sort of faith systems in the world, and this is really interesting. Do you know that when, if I were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian? And then I were to ask them, what does it mean to be a Christian? And then I would ask them, do you know we'd have different answers all the way across this room? Our, our understanding and experience of what it means to be a Christian, do you want to maybe take a guess at why? It's because at last count, as best they could, conservatively, what they found was that there are 33,000 Christian denominations. In fact, some estimates have it around 40 to 45,000 versions of, flavors of Christianity. That's just Christianity. It's a lot of different expressions, a lot of different experiences, a lot of different religious ways of coming at this one idea. Now, I find this one really interesting. 16%. I want you to turn and take like 15 seconds with the person next to you and see if you can guess what the fastest growing religious group in the world is today. So over the last five years, this has been tracking faster than any other religious group in the world. Take a guess, like you, 15 seconds. What is the fastest growing religious group in the world today? All right. I'm not sure what you answer, what your guess is. I mean, any, you know, anyone can kind of take a guess at this. I didn't expect you to study for this test. But uh, this is really interesting. You know what the fastest growing religious group in the world today is, according to Pew Research, is the group that associates themselves as non-religious. <laughs> Trick question. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I know. Well, isn't that interesting, though, that we live in a world where there is... More and more religious opportunities, expressions, experiences, and yet at the same time, there seems to be more and more and more people becoming disinterested in religion. We have more religions than ever before in the world, but we also have more people that are growing more and more disinterested in religion. And it's really easy. Maybe that's kind of your view when you came in here. It's just, it's really easy to just go, well, you know, it's because religion's kind of had its run. I mean, it's time for it to be done. And so it's real easy in the culture that we live in to try and, you know, when it comes to religion, sort of throw the baby out with the holy water and just say, you know, it's just time for a new thing. Let's kind of clear the slate and start over again. But what I want to actually offer is that religion actually has its place, that there is a place for religion. There is a point to religion, regardless of your experience and regardless of that religious expression. In fact, there's something that every religious expression shares with every other religious expression. And that is the point of religion. And the point of religion is to point you to God. 
Makes sense, right? The point of religion should, at the very least, point you to God. That is the point of religion, is to point you to God. And so regardless of whatever that God may be, if it's Jesus, if it's Allah, if it's Buddha, if it's Ganesh, whatever your God may be, the point of your religion should be to point you to God, yes? And so here's how just about every single major religion does it. There's a framework in which religions kind of establish themselves to point you to God. These are the rules of religion, and it usually kind of looks and feels like a checklist. It starts with the things that we believe. So for our religion, we believe this. We believe this about God. We believe this about where we came from. We believe this about where we're going. We believe this about people. We believe this about how people get to God. We believe this about marriage. Whatever it is, there are a set of beliefs that every religion has. And then there's the practices that they do. So because we we believe these things, this is what we do. This is how we pray. This is how we act. This is who we marry. This is sort of how we go about, you know, using our resources in the world. So it starts with what we believe and then what we do. All of that at its best should point you to God. This should all be sort of a help to point you to God. And at the same time, what religion does is it has another set of lists. It's on page two. That's all the things that we don't believe and that you're not supposed to do. And that's sometimes equally as important, and maybe that's what you felt more from religion. Well, because of kind of who we are and how we do it, we don't believe this about this. We don't believe that about that. And so we don't believe this about God. We don't believe this about people, and we don't do these certain things. This is kind of how we do marriage because we don't do it like that. This is how we kind of set our resources up. We don't do it like that. Here's all the things that you can't eat, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't say, you can't listen to, you can't watch. And so you got to keep reading. There's a lot of fine print on page two. There's a lot of things that says, look, this is how we establish who we are. We draw a circle around ourselves and say, this is what we believe, this is what we do, this is what we don't believe, this is what we don't do. And that's the heart of, that is the heart and the framework of every major religion. That's where it starts. And believe it or not, this actually can be a help to you. Because in a world filled with mystery and complexity, sometimes we need some guardrails, some guideposts, some practices to help kind of us figure out what to do, where to go, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes we need this as a help, ultimately to point us to God. This helps people kind of find their place in the world, to figure out who your people are and kind of where you fit. It has its place. And ultimately, ideally, like we've said, it should be pointing you to God. In fact, religion at its best, a religion at its best, can actually be a path to God. At its best, it can be a path to God. Right? This is when, when religion is kind of getting the point of why it exists. It can be a path to God. It can be incredibly, incredibly, incredibly helpful. Let you know where to start. So you're kind of new to the whole God thing. Religion can say, oh, here's where you can start. Maybe it helps you know how to start over again. Your life has hit rock bottom. All of it has fallen apart around you. And so you go back to what you know. How, how many times have you seen that or maybe experienced that story? You go back to what you grew up with because at least that lets you know where to start over again. This can be incredibly helpful. It can give you those guardrails, those guideposts, those kind of places for you to sort of practice and where to go and who to be with to help you. And so this can be a very helpful thing. But as much as religion can be a path to God, it must never take the place of God. can never take the place of God. And this is when religion goes bad. 
This is why we have a phrase like religious extremists. It's because the religion believes that now it is God. This is when, when religion believes that it can take the place of God, this is when things at best become unhealthy and unhelpful and dogmatic and destructive. Listen, when, when religion attempts to take the place of God and in so doing, making itself both the means and the end, it makes itself the means to God and the end in and of itself, here's what happens when religion does that. Its leaders become unteachable and untouchable, and its followers become self-focused and self-righteous. Let me say that again. When religion takes the place of God, its leaders become unteachable and untouchable. This is right because I said it's right. Don't ask any questions. Don't, in fact, you're not even going to see me. I'm going to exit out the back door, get into, you won't even have anything with it. I'm, you can't approach me, unteachable, untouchable. And here's what happens to its followers. They become self-focused about preserving their way, protecting their way, keeping others out, and they become self-righteous. And it's only a matter of time until they become hypocritical. Maybe that's been sort of your experience and exposure to religion. That is religion at its worst, when it takes the place of God. Religion can be a path to God, but it must never take the place of God. And there's no one who got this better than Jesus. No one who got this idea better than Jesus, who got religion and its part and its place that it plays in the world, but never let it replace God. And I want to show you one of many examples where Jesus illustrates to us how we can do this. And so it's found in Mark chapter three. If you have a Bible, I want you to open to Mark chapter three right now. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a gray Bible in your seat back. If you're in overflow, it should be under your seat. You can turn straight to page 700, Mark chapter three. I'll ask you to open a Bible and just read for yourself, grab a pen and determine what you believe based on what this says about who Jesus is and how he put religion in its place. Let me give you some very quick context. I love the book of Mark. We talked recently about the Bible. We talked about it last week. This is a great book to start with. If you're new to the Bible, we say this every week, please steal a Bible from church. If you don't own a Bible, please, please, please steal a Bible and start in the book of Mark. Mark's very action-oriented, so it's just like a lot of stuff happens right out the gate. And so in Mark chapter 2, I didn't realize this until I was studying for this time, every single story in Mark chapter 2 is an encounter between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. And they're like in a cage match with each other because they don't like how he's doing things. They don't like who he hangs out with. They don't like who and how he heals. They don't like that he doesn't fast like they fast. They don't like what he does on the Sabbath. And that leads us right up to Mark chapter three, an event that happened on the day of Sabbath where the religious leaders did not like what Jesus either believed or what he did. And so they caused quite a problem with it. So this is Mark chapter three, verse one. It says this, another time Jesus went into the synagogue, the holy religious place of worship in their community. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. I'll just hit pause right there. What Mark has given us a picture of, this is someone who suffered with some sort of deformity, some sort of thing that had kept him, honestly, in that culture. If you were have a physical deformity like that, if you were crippled, if you couldn't see, if you couldn't talk, if you couldn't hear, you instantly became a social outcast. But if that wasn't enough, you were also a spiritual outcast because the belief in that culture was the reason you are the way you are is because of some sin in your life or your parents' sin. So not only are you a social outcast, unwelcome at the table, but now you're a spiritual outcast, unloved by God. And that's why you're suffering the way. You got what you had coming to you. So many times those who'd fall into that category would make their way to the temple, to the religious place, in hopes that someone in a good religious mood 
would give them some money, give them some food, even just some attention, conversation. And so here we see someone at the synagogue who was not welcomed inside. And it's very important. Let's read on here what happens. Some of them, and this would be the religious leaders, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. So just, you have to picture this. These are the religious leaders that like hiding behind a pillar, like watching, kind of stacked on top of each other. Kind of ridiculous. But they're waiting to see, is he going to do, is he going to do this? Because there were very strict laws around the Sabbath that they had, they had created, these sort of religious customs and codes around this idea of the Sabbath. So what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is a gift that God gave to us coming right out of the creation story. God created the world, and then you may be familiar with this, on the seventh day, he what? He rested, and he established that as a day for all of us to join him in his rest. This is a day to be renewed, to be restored, to rest, to recover, to be replenished by God. What a beautiful, doesn't that sound awesome? It's a gift that God's like, yeah, this is how I want you to live with me. Rest, recover, be renewed, be restored with me. And what religion had done was they took this idea and they added so many customs and codes on top of it that you couldn't do this and you had to do this and you had to make sure this was done by this time and you couldn't cook during that day. You couldn't do any work. You could not do any work. You couldn't even have animals in your house do any work. And so they had added all these addendums to this idea of rest that God had created. I mean, they worked really hard at resting. <laughs> and so here it is, the Sabbath, and they're like, we got him. Now just also hit pause. Do you see how they're using the man with the crippled hand? These are the religious leaders who know God's heart, or at least know his laws. Any one of them at any moment could have walked up to that man and offered him kindness, compassion, a meal, some resources, but no, they use him to trick and to trap Jesus. Jesus knows what's going on. Verse three, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, and I love this, stand up in front of everyone. So he's, he's gonna say, okay, Jesus is a teaching hospital, okay? So he's like, I'm going to heal you, but I'm going to make this a teaching moment right now. And so he has him stand up in front of everyone. And the picture I see, the Jesus I know, I believe my whole heart held that hand. Probably that hadn't been touched in years. The reason he was an outcast, Jesus grabs that hand and holds him up, stands him up, and stands in solidarity with his suffering. And says, this is who I'm with. This is who I'm for. And he stands there, he says, no, I'm gonna get to you in a moment. Let me talk to these guys first. And so he says out loud, which is lawful? Which is more religious, is what he's saying there, on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? And evil in this case would be not doing the good you know you're supposed to do. Not doing the good you're capable of doing. How many of those times and moments do we have every week? Jesus says, what's, what's the more religious thing to do here? To honor the codes that you've created for Sabbath or to ignore someone who's suffering and isolated and in pain? To save a life, and Jesus gets, keeps going there, or to kill. To continue to play out with the customs of this culture to honor your religious code. <laughs> he asked them the question, and I just hear it echoing out throughout the synagogue. And like everyone's like, whoop, they got like the record scratch happened. Everyone's listening now in this moment to what Jesus is doing. But they remained silent. They had nothing to say. My hunch is you and I would too. I mean, who's going to speak? They already know what Jesus is saying. That his point is that the Sabbath isn't the point. 
That's what he just done in Mark chapter two. He just told them this, that the point of the Sabbath is that it's not, the Sabbath isn't the point. That religion has its place, but it can never take the place of God and it can never be more important than people. All of your practices must never precede people. And so Jesus says, look, let me show you the higher ethic here. Let me show you what he called in another example, the greater thing, the greatest thing, in fact, which is to love. And so verse five, he goes on. He looked around at them. Look at this. You see the heart of God towards the damage that religion can do. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn religious hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored, completely healed in that moment. Jesus has no issue healing a physical deformity, but these religious leaders had great issue with allowing their hearts to be broken and healed by him. And so look what happens, verse six. This is their response. They say, Jesus, oh, thank you. We had it all wrong. We confess our religious ways. You are the teacher. We will follow you, rabbi. Is that what they say? No. No, they go, oh, oh, it's on now. The Pharisees (laughs) went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might what? Kill Jesus. Now, just please take note. This is Mark chapter three the beginning of the story. He's off to a great start. (laughs) You can see here in this moment, the heart of God lived out through the life of Jesus. He refused. He refused to put religion before relationship. Jesus refused to put religion before relationship. This is when religion goes bad, when it puts itself in front of or before relationship. And Jesus refused. And I would encourage you, go through every single account of his life and try and find a time where Jesus put religion before people, where he honored the customs and codes before he was present with the people that God had brought his way, the people that he was actually led to. See, this is what's so powerful is that Jesus says, look, when it comes to all of this religion, God, and how it all works, a little greater than, less than. Relationship, always greater than religion. Now, I'm not sure what religion you grew up with or if you grew up with it at all, but if you want to get to the heart of life with Jesus and relationship with Jesus, this is what he says. Relationship is always greater than religion. Religion has its place, but it never, ever, ever can come in the way before relationship with others. The way you go about your life with God must never supersede actually loving God and loving others. Relationship is always, always, always greater than religion. And I think this is a core misconception that people have about God, about the God of Jesus, the Father of Jesus, about the God that I know, and maybe this is a belief that you have. It's a core misconception. And that is the thing that God really, really wants is for you to obey the rules. That what he wants more than anything else in this world is for you to be a good religious person. I spent a lot of years of my life thinking that was my job and that's what made God happy is if I would just play by the rules. If I would just be a good religious person as though just take that thought and maybe that's your thought that that's what you thought God judged you by and that's what he held you to is that what matters most is the rules and that you obey them. Play that back though, like rewind the tape of that thought. Where does it lead to? I mean, can you imagine God sitting around in heaven thousands and thousands of years ago going, gosh, I got all these 
laws and customs, all these things you can eat and not eat and wear. And I got these 10 commandments. I haven't known what to do with these for years. I know I'll create people. They can do the things that I came up with. And so can you imagine that being the thought that led to our creation? God said, I'm going to make people who can keep all the rules that I made up. Do you think that's how it works? Okay, so let me just take it down to a little bit more of a practical level. For those of you who are parents, okay, for those of you who are parents, or you remember kind of how it worked in your house with your parents growing up, my hunch is that when it came to starting a family for you, that it didn't start like this. The two of you are laying in bed one night, and you're talking to each other and going, baby, you know what I want more than anything else in the world? What's that, sweetie? I want someone to stay in their seat during the whole meal. <laughs> oh, baby, I've been thinking the same thing. I have been looking for someone to honor my 9 p.m. curfew. There seems to be no one in my world who will honor my 9 p.m. curfew. You know what, baby? I was thinking this the other day. I just, I wish there was someone that I could tell 400 times a day to say please and thank you to. You know what we should do? Let's have some kids to follow these rules. My hunch is that's not how it started. We don't need to go into specifics of how it did, but I bet it wasn't that. I bet it actually wasn't that. Listen, you, you, for those of you who are parents, you didn't create kids because you love your rules. You created your rules because you love your kids. You didn't create kids because you love your rules so much. You created rules because you love your kids. And, and, and you've determined and established in our family, this is how we do it. And maybe there were rules that you grew up in a house where you couldn't tell the difference. It was hard to tell what mattered more. You were the rules. Maybe you've tried to bring those rules into your family and it hasn't quite worked right. Listen, <laughs> because relationship always supersedes the rules. And, and good parents, now listen to me, good parents, good parents can get their kids to obey all the rules. It takes a good parent to get their kids to obey all the rules. It takes a great parent to know when to break the rules. Good parents can get their kids to obey all the rules. Great parents know when to break the rules, know what the rules are there for. Great parents say, you know what, we're not going to school this morning. I'm taking you to breakfast. We're going to celebrate. I'm just so proud of who you are. We're going to breakfast. It's your birthday. We're going to breakfast. You mean I can ditch? Isn't that illegal? Yeah, but just don't... <laughs> Don't tell your mom. We'll just, we'll just. <laughs> Great parents know when to break the rules. And it's no different with God. He's a perfect parent. Listen to me. According to the rules of religion, according to the rules, I am guilty as charged. According to the rules, I, I have sinned again and again and again and again and again against a holy and perfect God. According to the rules, I don't deserve to even be in his presence. But the one who made the rules said, I'm going to break the rules. I'm going to send my son, and he is going to stand between before you and religion so that you can have a relationship with me. This is who God is. So, because relationship always supersedes religion. 
I mean, that's just what Jesus teaches and models again and again and again and again. Now, listen to me. I want you to hear what I'm saying because I think this is pretty important stuff. And I think this is where we can kind of get religion and relationship twisted. I want you to understand something, that God loves his church. He loves his church. The Bible's very clear about that. God loves this church, but he does not love it more than he loves you. And there are people who feel like it's their job to kind of protect and hold the church up. Listen, God loves the church, but he doesn't love it more than he loves you. God loves the Bible, talks about it again and again. What a gift this is to us. We just taught about it last week. God loves the Bible. He doesn't love this book more than he loves you. The whole point of this book is so that you can have a relationship with him. He loves you more than he loves this book. God loves when we worship him. Loves when we come together as we do here every weekend and we sing songs, we praise God. God loves when we worship. He doesn't love receiving our worship more than he actually loves you and your heart. God loves a great sermon. He loves this one. I can feel it. But he doesn't love this more than he loves you. And the whole point of this is so that you would love him. The whole point of this is so that you would love and know and actually have a relationship with him. God refuses and has yet to put religion before his relationship with you. And he invites you to do the same with him. Listen to me. If you thought that what you had to do to kind of get right with God is to kind of get the scorecard and the checklist out. And okay, I got to read my Bible. I got to show up for church. I got to make sure that I pray. What they say I have to do a small group. What's that going to, how much time is that going to take? All right, I'll kind of do these things. And you trying to keep score off of that scorecard, doing all these things to try and get God's love. You are playing off the wrong scorecard. All of those things have their place. They're wonderful practices that we do, but we do them, every single one of them, so that you would know God and have a transforming relationship with him. In fact, I don't, there's not a thing we want to do here at this church. If it, we won't do it if it doesn't lead you into a transforming relationship with Jesus. All of it has to lead. That's the point of it all. And so the question for you to consider this week is what would that look like for you? in your relationship with God, to refuse to keep playing the religious game and say, wait, maybe there's a better way. And is it more kind of mysterious and more complex and sometimes more confusing? Does it take longer than it does just kind of checking the box and playing by religion? Yeah, it's a heck of a lot easier to do religion than it is to do relationship. But relationship with God is what changes your life and changes your eternity. That's the point of it all anyway. So what would it look like for you to say this week, to make it maybe a mini mantra for you, that I choose to put relationship before religion this week. What would it look like for you to say it? I choose to put relationship before religion. Now let's get real brass tacks about this. Because I know that where you work, there are people who do not believe what you believe. I know that in your home, maybe you have a spouse and oh my gosh, they don't quite get it like I do and I feel like I'm having to drag them along here. And, and so, oh man, I know that, listen, I know that in your family, maybe there's some extended family and every time you see them, you're like, oh my gosh, when, like, how are we gonna ever see eye to eye? They don't believe what I believe. And there are people that are in your world that not only don't believe what you believe, they do not do what you do. And they don't say no to the things that you say no to. In fact, it seems like they don't say no to anything. They don't use their resources the way that you do. They don't even think about God the way you do, if they even think about him at all. They don't love the way you do. They don't love the kind of people that you do. And you're going to have a real choice this week, I believe this, of whether you're going to hold fast to your religious views, 
draw a circle around yourself, making you feel safe and secure and keeping them on the outside, or you're going to say, you know, like the example of Jesus, I'm going to walk straight to this relationship. It's not my job. It's not my job to judge them. I'll leave that one up to God. But he's very clear that it's my job to love them. We may not agree about this side or the other. We may not see eye to eye on this side. We may not do the same things on Sundays. But I'm going to love them. I'm going to choose relationship over religion. Whatever that means this week, Jesus. I want to do that. I actually want to prioritize people even over some of my religious perspective and views. I don't want to be so blinded by my views that I miss the people God has actually put right in front of me. I think this is more challenging than we even realize. But I think you're up to it. I really do. I think you're up to it in your relationship with God and in your relationship with others. So that's the challenge this week, to do what Jesus did, to model what he did for us. Because again, Jesus didn't just teach this. He didn't just do this in you know, little examples like we can read about this throughout the Bible. He ultimately took our place. He ultimately stepped in and said, listen, here's how you're going to have relationship with God. Here's how you can do it. It's possible. It's through me. In fact, this is what makes Christianity or relationship with Jesus so unique and distinct among all the other 4,200 religions in the world is that Jesus goes on to say this very, very, very clearly in John 14. You don't have to turn there, but Jesus said these words. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's me. It's not about practicing and checking off all these things to believe and all these things to do. It's me and it's relationship with me. No one comes to the Father. No one has relationship with God except through me relationship with me. You can add all kinds of other bells and whistles, religious things to do and not do and believe, but Jesus said, let me make it really simple and really clear. It's about me and relationship with me, through me. And if you know me, you'll know the Father because you know me and we're the same. Jesus said, let me make it real, real simple for you. It's about relationship. And I am enough for you. You don't have to add all these other things down there to try and earn God's love or approval. These things are helpful. These practices are helpful. But Jesus said, ultimately, if it's not about me, then what's the point of it all really anyway? If it doesn't point you to a relationship with me, then what's the point of it all anyway? So I want to lead us into a moment of really considering what that might mean for us to really believe that, that it's about relationship with Jesus. And so I'm going to have us pray here in a moment, and then we're going to respond and sing and, and, and declare, you know what, Jesus, we believe you're enough, that you really are enough. And we can try and add all these other things onto you, but in you we have everything we need for life and fullness and forgiveness and freedom and purpose and peace. And maybe over the course of these next few moments, God will move in your heart in such a way that you say, I want, I want that. Religion has worn me out. I want to start a relationship with Jesus, and you can do that right now today. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to pray, and we're going to sing together, and then we'll be done. And Jesus, we come to you because you said you're the one. It's about you. It's not about, God, all these other things. They're helpful. They're important. They have their place, but they should never be in the place of you. And so, Jesus, I personally confess that I can kind of color by the numbers so often with you and just sort of check the boxes and try and do the right things and hope that that's what it's all about. But I know that it's in an intimate, transformational relationship with you 
that I have relationship with God, that I have access to the Holy Spirit, that I actually have life as you intended me to live. Thank you, God, that you never put the rules or religion in front of relationship with me. And so, Jesus, we cling to and we claim right now that you are enough and it's all in you. And so we come to you and we sing to you and we thank God for you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen.